So welcome to the next episode of the Cam Marketing Save the Planet podcast. And in this episode, Gemma and I are delighted to be joined by Jackie Marshall, Head of Brand and Marketing at Fairtrade. Jackie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Michelle. Glad to be so, here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And we've talked a few times, Jackie, so um, we really wanted to get you on the podcast and pick your brains and dive in a little bit more about all the impact that you've been doing over the decades now. So um, let's start with an introduction to you, though, and the work that you're doing as um, head of brand and marketing and, of course, how you came into being uh, at Fairtrade. Uh, yes, so um, I joined Fairtrade about four years ago um, and actually joined in the commercial team and I was heading up the global Ben and Jerry's partnership, which was super interesting, a uh, fantastic Fairtrade partnership to work on with you know such a purpose-driven brand. Um, and one of the highlights uh, of that uh, time was uh, a launch of initiative towards a living income uh, cocoa project for cocoa farmers in West Africa. So that was fantastic to be part of that. Um, and currently now, um, for about the last two years, I've headed up the um, brand marketing team. So I'm head of brand and marketing, leading a fantastic team. Um, and I'm responsible for the marketing strategy and uh, how our marketing activations show up in the public. Um, so that's both via activity we do ourselves, such as the fair trade um, our flagship campaign, which is Fairtrade Fortnite, and uh, also shared activations we create with our partners, and that's either brand partners or retail partners, um, uh, which go out to shoppers. And as you as you said, uh, next year we'll be actually celebrating our 30th anniversary. And uh, what makes Fairtrade really different is um, we sort of stand out because we're more than just a label, more than just a mark. Uh, we're really a a sort of people-powered movement for change and with deep roots in advocacy and campaigning and deep roots in farming communities worldwide. And we have a really strong grassroots uh, supporter base, which is made up of fair trade campaigners, schools, towns and villages. Um, and interestingly, uh, when we have applicants for um, uh, some of the roles we're advertising, Quite often, applicants refer to the fact that they first heard about fair trade in school or university, yeah. and it's stuck with them, and it's something that's kind of encouraged them to apply for the role. So that's that's great to hear. Fantastic. Yeah, and um, we also work with businesses, um, and we work with businesses to look at new uh, areas and sources of growth, and also work with them to amplify the brand through our shared marketing activations. And we also have an active program of advocacy work, um, which raises the position of farmers with uh, critical areas of government policy. So that's covering things like climate change with uh, our representations at COP and also uh, to protect rights and land and you know, future livelihoods, especially um, in the climate sort of sector. And it's really these kind of multiple layers, if you like, of uh, what makes up the organisation, which um, you know makes us really effective and and stand out in in this sector. Um, and importantly, farmers and workers are at the heart of everything we do. They're absolutely centric to to, to everything we do, and we use our platform to facilitate and amplify the voices of the farmers. You know, fighting for their rights, for their land, health, and future livelihoods. 
Um, and this year, uh, we've had actually transitioned to a new global branding, which is called The Future is Fair. Ooh. And it's all about embedding um, uh, the purpose of our work into the brand and also just moving more to an, an optimistic uh, lens for the future. Um, and it also enables us to have a, a sort of unified approach across uh, all of the countries we operate in, um, which is really important given the increasing interconnected global nature mm. of the challenges we're, we're all facing. And also because of the different multiple layers that we have as an organization, it also gives us this space to dial up or down any specific messaging, depending on uh, the audience and the context. Um, so, you know, that we can we can pull out in a particular area all under this branding of the future is fair. I mean, I mean, I, you've, there is so much that, that fair trade do. And as you say, you know, three decades of fighting for trade justice, climate and social justice. And, and this whole area around the interconnectedness that so many people don't seem to connect all of the dots, do they? That, you know, one thing you do over here can have a detrimental effect over here. And I guess my question is around, and, and you, you touched on it uh, just then, is, you know, when you're continuously raising awareness and talking about this stuff, you know, how, how do you, in your role and, and your teams, how do you go about, um, you know, selecting how you communicate this to people you know what are the challenges around having such a broad set of of areas on which you you take on and you take on so well you know what what's the secret well um you're right in that um uh you know this interconnectedness is is so important you know between climate change climate justice social justice trade justice um and they are all intrinsically linked um, I mean, climate change is already creating devastating uh, situations for farmers. Um, now, our latest research with uh, coffee farmers in Kenya was showing that 93% of them are already experiencing effects of climate change. Wow. And they're getting... That's a big uh, number. It's huge. I mean, it's it's probably even bigger than <laughs> we would have expected to come back. But, um, but you know, it's really clear. And the, particularly things like... Um, uh, the erratic rainfall and the increase in pests and diseases is, is one of the biggest factors which is uh, affecting them. Um, you know, almost half of the banana imports we have into the UK come from countries which are facing increasing risks of uh, catastrophic events, um, you know, linked to climate change. And around half the ground that's currently used to grow cocoa will become unsuitable for growing cocoa by 2050. Um, and that, again, is the combination of heat waves and droughts, but then mixed in with then when rainfall does come, it's falling really strongly. And, and so, so this kind of position between drought and, and erratic and really strong rainfalls, um, huge. So um, our farmers have a wealth of experience and knowledge um, to address these climate issues, but they simply just can't afford to foot the bill on, on the current incomes. Um, and farmers uh, often don't earn a living wage uh, because the price they get paid for the produce is far, far too low. So, for example, a cocoa farmer can earn as little as, as 74 pence a day, um, whereas fair trade farmers benefit from a fair trade minimum price, so they get a consistent price. And 
uh, if the market price falls below that, then they still have that safety net. So they they can, and importantly, they can then plan and they can just have that mm. security that they can you know, stay cocoa farming uh, if, you know, at its very simplest. Um, and the other thing uh, fair trade farmers have is uh, the fair trade premium, which is an additional sum of money, which they then decide between the cooperatives about what they'll spend that money on. Um, and an example of that, uh, a, a kind of climate project that that premium has been spent on was one of our cocoa farms in Ghana where they uh, they noticed that the tops of the cocoa trees were literally singeing with the heat. So what they did was they bought taller, fast-growing trees um, that could create shade above the cocoa trees, and that protected the cocoa crops. And then what they also did was planted other crops below so that they increased the biodiversity of that area and also, uh, you know, diversify the income so they weren't just reliant on, on the cocoa crops. And it takes about three years for a cocoa tree to mature. But once it's established, it can last for about 30 years. So it's a, a, a really big investment that's, you know, important to, to, to protect that, that, uh, that plant, basically. But the biggest challenge we have is that um, when we're trying to communicate to the wider public, is really trying to convey these complex issues in a format that's easily understandable. Yeah. So, you know, we wrap these um, messages into messaging and, and marketing activation in a format that's easily understandable and in a way that's relevant and motivating to them. You know, why, why should they be interested that what's happening on a, on a farm, you know, somewhere in a country far away? Um, and we find our farmer stories are the best way of um, to convey real life stories and uh, experiences. And using this storytelling, we use examples of showing what the impact of buying a fair trade product can be, such as buying shade trees. Um, so, and then that helps, you know, helps to show if you're going to make a purchase, what you know, the kind of thing that that's going to help with. So we tend to use uh, social media on a continual basis because um, it's a perfect medium for creating short nuggets of information and we can then provide links through to further information to go into more depth. So for audiences that want to know more about it, they, they can find a bit more. And then we have uh, larger campaigns such as the Fairtrade Fortnight and the, the shared activations I was speaking about with uh, branded partners. Um, and for all of those, you know, we use case studies and experiences to, to bring these kind of lived experiences to life um, and make it easily digestible for, for the wider public. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest challenges, isn't it? The narrative, this, this education piece about um, how, how, how things impact everything, this interconnectedness, as you said, and that, that story, that narrative around that. Um, there's obviously, have you seen a shift, Jackie, as, I mean, we talk about the, the rising consciousness of consumers. There's lots of studies saying people are increasingly concerned about uh, doing better and making sure that they're spending well and that they are spending in, on more purpose-led um, products. Um, but we also hear a lot of studies about the actual intention gap where, yes, people are, are saying, yes, I want to do that. But actually, when it comes to making the purchase, there are there are numerous studies. I mean, I know we just caught, covered one in the from Porto Novello that actually showcased the action intention gap 
isn't as as big as we think it is sometimes. Um, <clears throat> and there's really brands shouldn't use that as an excuse not to do the right thing. You know, the fact that the customer isn't making those decisions um, or is choosing not to buy those is often not just down to price point. It's down to education, confusion, and them not truly understanding the narrative around it. So so it, that action intention gap isn't just about price. Um, and so, you know, are you seeing shifts in your research? Are you seeing this change that that fair trade is becoming more desired? Have you seen that shift? As we've seen these shifts in the consciousness rising, is that impacting your your research? Um, well, interestingly, um, uh, the, the we did some research ahead of um, the Fair Trade Fortnight campaign this year. Um, so uh, the campaign we ran this year was um, with uh, a PR agency called Alfred and the stunt were called The Endangered Isle. And um, we had done uh, research with uh, an, a company called uh, uh, 3Gem ahead of the uh, the campaign, just to show what uh, what, what people were thinking. So they yeah. uh, interviewed around two thousand uh, UK shoppers, and they were looking at what people's understanding was of the the, the challenge in the, in this um, space. And what we found was that, um, what they found in this particular research was that around two thirds of, uh, of people, uh, recognized that actually, uh, buying a sustainably sourced food was a good way to make a sort of lifestyle change to buying, uh, to protect the environment. Um, but in fact, only 38% of them claimed they were actually changing their shopping habits to do so. Mm-hmm. So, that kind of sat at the at the back, if you like, of the intention of, of of what we were working on with the um with the with the fair trade fortnight um campaign, and um what we uh, the the idea of the, this immersive pop up uh, was that we would sort of imagine what the future would look like if your favourite uh, supermarket staples weren't available anymore and they weren't guaranteed, and so. Um, as you came into the uh, endangered isle, there were kind of empty shelves. There was the odd dying banana. Uh, there was a few containers with bits of cocoa and coffee in them. Um, and interestingly, the, it coincided with the time when salads had disappeared from shelves. So what might have seemed like a, a kind of bit of a far-fetched idea actually mm-hmm. Um, it, it really resonated because people thought, oh, actually, this, this could potentially yeah. happen. Um, and then well, it further into it was happening, exactly, yeah. and yeah. exactly that time. So, of course, we got lots of references back to that. Um, but I think people just don't imagine that a banana isn't going to be there uh, mm. anymore. So, it was really trying to, you know, prompt this kind of thinking. Um, and as you went further into the pop up, um, uh, you entered what the future would look like. So, if you know we buy into fair trade, and we had an amazing display of products which were kindly donated by partners, and we had sort of vibrant, colourful flowers. We had coffee, tea, cocoa, uh, lots of you know different products, um, and you know some that you wouldn't necessarily know were fair trade, like olive oil and nuts and cereals. Um, and the abundance of uh, products was really highlighting what a future could be like if you, you know, were to sort of take the action. 
And we focused on uh, bananas, coffee and cocoa um, because we know they are some of the favorite supermarket fa- uh, staples and probably at mo- you know, one of the ones those are f- that are most at risk. Um, and what we really wanted to highlight with this, uh, this campaign was to, to make it relevant to, uh, you know, anyone out there in the public and, um, try and get them to understand that it might actually affect them. So we used, um, a, a strap line, which was, does your favorite food have a future? And the idea there being, well, actually, actually this might affect me you know this might be motivating so you know I think the key to cracking this intention action gap is firstly to make it relevant and make people kind of sit up and listen and secondly to provide a simple action that they can take Mm -hmm. so that they which is also relevant to them so um and people we know that people want to do good and that's them you know but we also know against the backdrop of the uh, climate change can feel a bit overwhelming. So what we were trying to sort of put forward was that just by taking one simple action, um, you can make a difference because if lots of people take one little uh, simple action, then actually that cumulative effect can lead to to a big change. Um, so um, we provided them with the question, does your favourite food have a future to prompt that? kind of thinking about it and then the simple action was you know if you can buy a fair trade product then actually you can help contributing towards a, a sort of more positive future and and it was great that people you know people recalled that messaging they recalled that um, farmers do have a critical role in addressing the climate and and have the knowledge and expertise so me buying a product can actually help as part of that equation and um, you know we, we we saw increased purchases on on the back of that. So, Jackie, on that point, then, do you think price is a determining factor? Is it is it leading people's decision making? Um, well, one of the biggest challenges we, we face is the fact uh, that there's a perception that shoppers think that fair trade products are always going to be more expensive, and you're always going to have to pay a premium price for them. And in part, this comes, I think, from a category perception that buying sustainably is always going to be more expensive. But actually, it isn't the case that fair trade products are always more expensive. Um, There's around 6,000 fair trade products in the UK at a wide range of price points. So there is a choice out there for whatever your budget. Um, But we do know from our own research that around a third of the people don't realise that fair trade products are stocked in the likes of Audi, Lidl, Asda and Greggs. and that's despite Audi and Lidl being uh, the UK two biggest cocoa uh, retailers, fair trade cocoa retailers. Um, so if you then imagine that misperception uh, across uh, in the context of the cost of living crisis, we've had to work even harder to make sure that our message gets out there. Mm. Um, and one of the things we did as part of the future section in the endangered aisle was to include products from the likes of Audi and, and Lidl, Asda, and also products at different price points for major supermarkets. So, for example, we featured the value ranges such as Waitrose Essentials, Co-ops Honest Value, M&S uh, Remarksable. Um, all value products illustrate that you don't have to spend more as a shopper to uh, get sustainable fair trade products. Um, and I'm delighted to say that one of the, uh, well, our most recalled message out of the campaign was that whatever your budget and wherever you shop, 
you can find fair trade products that will you know help farmers to take care of the environment so it was really great to get that result because we know that is one of our biggest challenges and we want you know people to who whatever their budget is to know that they can take a simple action and do something towards tackling the climate change i think you know the other thing you have is trust isn't it and i think you know we as michelle said there's research that says that people aren't being more sustainable, there's research that says that intention gap is is smaller, it, it's bigger, you know, and we're bombarded with messages every day. There's an abundance, or hopefully this will go away now, of, of labels that have been put on products, which, you know, have caused confusion amongst what is a real accredited label with with real substantial substantiated work behind it versus what is a marketing label and i guess you know fair trade is possibly one of the most recognizable labels out there um are you do you think with the introduction of of the green claims code and and with you know organizations all over the world tightening up the guidelines do you think that that will help those organisations such as Fair Trade and, you know, the ones that are doing the good and are trustworthy. And if you buy their products, you know that you are doing the good that sits behind those. Do you think that that this is all going to help moving forward? Um, yeah, so I, 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 I think that it's definitely going to help um, to bring in a, a sort of helpful framework, if you like. Um, I think uh, just the fact of having... Um, uh, a framework in place means that it means that we all have to sort of take sit up and take uh, take notice and get ourselves upskilled uh, make sure that we understand what what's what's happening and um so i think having a, a structure in place uh just gives people that added incentive to do so um because you know people are busy priorities fall off the um you know can fall off the uh, the list to do so actually having frameworks in place which uh, we can point to such as the green claims code i think are very are sort of helpful um yes and uh when we talk about our impact uh, it's always rooted in fact so we have an evidence and insights team which we check uh we you know we check that there is a genuine impact and data behind anything we take out to a, a public audience and obviously we actively engage with CMA when they do workshops and when I know yourselves you've run <laughs> workshops on the CMA green claims, claims code um, so yes and, and given that trust and transparency in this area is so important I think it's really crucial that messaging is clear and, and correct so that with all the noise going on um, people aren't you know even mistakenly or unintentionally confused yeah. um, and the reason I think it's so important is because you know we all more people to make sustainable choices yes. and the more conducive we make that environment you know the better that will be yeah and just going back to that number that your research showed because that's a similar number i think it was the same similar or say 37 percent. i think coming out of the porto novelli research 38 percent of people making a different choice is actually quite big you know, we look at we look at thirty eight percent, and we might be oh, but what's happening with with you know the other uh, you know sixty two percent? But actually, thirty eight percent of behaviour change at this point is is heartening. You know, people are actually doing things differently, and and I see that as 
successful, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sizable. So I don't think we should underplay that. We should build on that and say, wow, you know, how do we how do we nudge that number up even more? Because that I think if that was eight percent, okay, a problem. But 38% is, I think, really quite hopeful. Um, and the other point I just wanted to build in here, Jackie, is that, you know, I love this that you said at the minute, at the very beginning, you know, this people-powered movement for change. You've been doing this for nearly three decades. Do others come to you as an organization now to say, help us? You know, you guys are pioneers, really, in this space around impact, facts, data, um, the, the, the amount of knowledge that you must have gleaned over the decades around communication, around what works, around how you enable all of this. Is this something that you now guide others on? I know you said you work with brands with regards to activations and, you know, those partnerships. You're almost acting, you know, as advisors, aren't you, to, to brands in this space? Uh, yes, and that and that's one of the things that we we like to do to bring value, if you like, to the partnerships is, um, you know, to to keep an eye on things like the Green Claims Code, and you know, make sure we're bringing to attention if there's anything that 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 isn't correct. So we we will be asked to opinions on things like that, um, and also we work very collaboratively with other campaigning organisations. Yeah. And typically, you know, across uh, businesses. So we, as part of COP26, we set up um, a climate network uh, amongst the the uh, businesses that we work with. And so we convene um, forums where they all come together and share right. ideas and share thinking. So we, uh, you know, I think this idea about um, convening people and sharing ideas and sharing yeah. thinking is something which is we're finding works really well across uh, across this sort of sector. And um, yes, in particular, the climate networks um, doing the businesses worked well. And also when we're calling for policy change, so again at the COP um, environments, we would typically, the, our advocacy teams would work with advocacy teams from other NGOs and businesses. So this kind of bringing together of knowledge yeah. and you know, convening these centres of knowledge, I think is something that we get very involved in. Fantastic, because that's you know, we, it, it's definitely collaboration all the way, isn't it? It has to, it has to be that these movements, you're a movement, there are other movements, we bring all those movements together, that's powerful. And uh, learning from each other and sharing and the knowledge rather than organisations starting from, you know, a zero baseline is is just so important, particularly where we've got limited time and we've got so much to do, um, then then that makes sense, doesn't it? That's That's wonderful. Do you, do you th- when, when we talk about the label and, and people's action intention, do, you know, from your research, from, from what you know, do you think that the majority of people know what is behind fair trade? Or do you think you've reached a point of such trust that that label stands with on, is standalone and, you know, you know, if you purchase that, that is going to make a difference. And what, what, I guess, what is your, what is your sort of, Want moving forward because we know that people it's great that they buy and they only if they only look for the fair trade label that's great but with the challenge growing and the, and the time running out we do need people don't we to look behind the label as well to really understand it yes I mean it's interesting I mean um, Globescan have recently um, 
released some data which was around the recall of ethical labels in general. And that's grown significantly in the last couple of years. So it's gone from mm-hmm. 75% to 83%. So another really positive figure for us to, yeah. um, you know, hook on to. Um, and, um, you know, obviously Fairtrade has been a sort of a pioneer in this area and, you know, continues to be recognised as, um, uh, you know, we with uh, high levels of uh, awareness, nine in 10 um, people aware of fair trade um, and eight in 10 trust uh, fair trade according to uh, our latest Cantal figures, but they've actually been consistently high for a, a number of years now. So, um, but also in terms of looking behind the label, you know, we do also ask, we do fairly regular research around what people uh, understand fair trade to mean. Mm. And we do get uh, quite clear evidence that they, you know, they come out typically on uh, things like paying a fair price, price to farmers, um, enabling farmers to invest in their communities, supporting farmers to diversify their incomes to be more resilient to climate change. So that they typically seem to be the things that come out really highly. So I think we, um, we know, we recognize that we, people do, you know, know what we, we stand for and um, they do look, look for that label. And we've seen evidence uh, again of um, purchasing growing across categories. So for example, we've seen people buying perhaps into one category, which been now buying into so they might maybe have just bought coffee and then suddenly they realize oh there's actually a fair trade mark on the cocoa and tea yeah. as well so and and we've seen that shift where people kind of move across categories as well yeah I know I, I know I buy a lot of my stuff from from the supermarket by looking for that particular label on the basis that you know it I know what sits behind it and yeah. it really yes. does drive my purchase decision yeah. and you know I absolutely especially chocolate and yes. wine and wine <laughs> and flowers wine. and flowers yeah you know there's a lot there's a lot of, of 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 products isn't there it's not just about the tea and the coffee and bananas you know as we've touched on but you know there are many others so um and I love that action Jackie for uh, that you did you know make one small action choose fair trade over over not fair trade. You know, that's pretty simple, isn't it? When we're making those choices, look for that label and make those choices. So we love, uh, and we've had, loved this conversation, Jackie. It's been so informative, so much in there and so much to share around the marketing, the communications, the narrative, the activations, the way that you're working with partners, um, these wonderful immersive elements that you're creating yeah. as well to really bring it home. Like, what does the future look like? Um <laughs> And, and, and I love all of that creativity that is, that is brought to, to what you're doing as well. We love to wrap up the, the podcast with three questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, so the first question to you then, as a fellow marketer who's been in marketing a long time and doing uh, wonderful things at Fairtrade, can marketing save the planet? What's, what's your view? So uh, my view is uh, yes, I do think so, <laughs> and I, I very much hope so. Um, and you know, already we can see the situation's critical with you know climate-related disasters you know, tripling in the last thirty years. Um, we had a, a cocoa farmer from Uganda, Nimrod Wambete, spoke at our uh, at the Endangered Isle, and spoke about the fact that um, a whole harvest um, had been. Uh, 
washed away by a landslide for one of the farms on on his cooperative. So we know this need to you know act and um, put in place opportunities to diversify incomes and yeah. um, you know. Uh, support, put these adaptations in place because of climate change as well. Um, We know it's so important. So I think it's going to take many actors across many different campaigns to move the dial. Um, But I think that will become a critical momentum that builds over time. And, you know, we've seen um, in sustainable purchases that it's gone from being a niche, fragile market to a really robust mainstream one. Um, and I think we'll just see that continue to grow. I think we'll see parallel streams of citizens and businesses and governments all awakening to the very real dangers. And us marketers getting better at um, making marketing strategies and and messaging and you know activities that you know accelerate that. Yeah. Um, and I think the degree to how successful it will be will really be down to you know how quickly we can build that momentum. Yeah, and I think you hear that momentum, isn't it? An ongoing momentum and, and continued continued conversation and, and activation and, and, and driving this, which is what, what Fair Trade have been doing for such a long time. Jackie, what do you hope business looks like in 10 years' time? Well, funnily enough, we've touched on that. Uh, we, we've uh, talked about this issue of collaboration. Um, and I think actually uh, collaboration is going to be the key to um, how we move move forward um you know the issues are so great and uh so large that there's no one can do this on their own um and we you know already uh you know we work with public we work with grassroots campaigners businesses um policy makers and i foresee that that collaboration will become even greater within each of those groups and across each of those groups, um, which, you know, I think will then add to this momentum we've spoken about and um, get us to that critical mass. Brilliant. Love that. And couldn't, couldn't hope that that's the way it all plays out uh, yeah. even more. And if you were to give one piece of advice to fellow marketers about driving impact through the way that they operate, through being more responsible marketers, what, what would it be? So I think um, driving impact is all about really understanding what is making a difference and, and what's truly making a difference. Um, and I would say sort of getting getting that knowledge on what, you know, technically does make a difference and technically does drive impact. Um, but equally, I would say, um, you know, not to get too worried if if you don't understand all of that as you're starting out, you know, you're starting out into a really exciting dynamic area, which is changing all the time. It's really complex. Uh, you know, within the industry, we know different people have different opinions. Yes. Um, so, you know, there's time to uh, build your own knowledge and, and your own skill set. Um, but also this point about collaboration is that there's, there's a whole network out there of people who are also curious to make change and share ideas and, you know, have things that they want to share. So um, I would say, you know, it's a really exciting area that you're joining. And, uh, you know, when it's done well, it can really make a difference to, to people's lives. Yeah. And, and just on that, Jackie, because you were in FMCG marketing, weren't you, before you came into this, this, this space? What personally drove you to make that decision? 
So um, I, as I'd gone through my career, I've worked in uh, FMCG companies and then I moved into agency side and then I moved into uh, the purpose-driven sector. Interestingly, I made that move around seven, eight years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. But what what I think we're seeing now is that actually there is opportunities for more for purpose-driven activities in, you know, across all industry, um, it, you know, within uh, bigger corporate organizations, yeah. which which actually didn't really exist quite so much even then. And yeah. even, even in the, the seven years, which I, I moved more into the kind of NGO sector. Um, and I think what's exciting at the moment is that you can see opportunities really growing across industry. And, um, you know, again, back to this collaboration between businesses and you know and, and charities and other actors moving in this space um it's just is increasing all the time and i think um that's def i've seen that momentum change a lot in the last seven years as well so yeah it's kind of moved hasn't it the, a, a green job no one can see me doing air quotes so i don't know why i'm doing them but green green jobs <laughs> are no longer you know i work in you know in, in forestry or agriculture or something you know it's now the skills and and that are going with the people isn't it and as you say those opportunities the rise of of green jobs and the rise of you know sustainability being part of every single person's role no matter what function you work in is really really taken off certainly in the last three to five years so Jackie it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today where can our listeners I think they know but where can our listeners find out all about the amazing work you guys are doing uh well a great place to start is the website um uh, you know or go about looking you know look for products in in stores and just keep your eyes open um and yeah we'd love you to find out more here and more about what we're doing and uh you know join join in this big collaborative movement towards uh future change. Fantastic. Well, we will make sure all the links and notes are uh, in the show notes so that people can easily access um, the work that you're doing and your social media activity where you stay very focused and and keep everybody up to date on all of that as well. So just a huge thanks from us, Jackie, for joining us and sharing all those insights uh, with us and indeed our listeners. Thank you so much. (laughs) 